Hello there, and welcome to Pivotal Film. I am Tom Nolan. And I'm Mario Ponzio. This is also this Pivotal Film. Yeah, there's no episodes anymore, people. <laughs> Just keep, I keep wanting to say this is episode. But we do have a beer this week, Tom. Yeah, what is... Uh, oh, you know, oh, it's, it's it Memorial Day weekend as we launch this episode. Uh-huh. We're jumping in the summer. We have the two big Memorial Day hit films coming out. Quiet Place Part 2, which I might end up seeing. Cruella. And Cruella, which I will not end up seeing. No. No, no, no. I'll probably see A Quiet Place Part 2, um, maybe. We'll see. I bought we'll see. my first... We'll see how this weekend We bought is. our first movie tickets. For In the Heights. In the Heights. That's exciting. Pretty good. Still social distancing Still. for the yeah, seating, which is are, good. There, yeah, there's all that. Yeah. I'm looking at the uh, tickets for A Quiet Place Part 2. Yeah. I'm only going to see it at the like early morning, though. Yeah, that's when we're that's going to. That's an 8.50 movie, not a $13 movie. But we're jumping in the summer, Tom. Something you can drink in the morning. And the summer is a, <laughs> a morning drinking beer. <laughs> you know, 4.2%. But a What's a easy, Rattler style? Easy drinking. It's a, a, one of the most favorite, it's a low alcohol type lager beer. Um, usually effervescent and malty. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, think, I think Rattler's basically... Um, Similar to a oh god, what are those called? Shandy. Mm. It looks as though it's it's just like a lager that's usually it smells lager. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got a bit fruit. Well, it's a lager, but it's, no, no. It's, but I mean, it has like the um, it has a shandy smell though. Yeah, but it's basically a lager with a mm. some fruit thrown in there. And this is uh, from East Rock Brewing, their Key Lime Kicker. Uh, Rather style citrus lager made with a hint of key limes and natural key lime flavor. All right, Mario. That's pretty good. Kind of like a land shark. It does. With a lime in it. It. <laughs> yeah, it kind of tastes like a land shark with a lime. It's bugging the shit out of me. Like in a bad way? Not in a bad way. I just expect more from East Rock. Like they've East Rock has consistently for the last two years or so blown my ass off with. This isn't a can. The you know they're also bl- right. This is not a bottle beer. This would have been better in a bottle. Maybe, maybe a nice sweaty bottle. Um, yeah. With you know their black lager with the uh, their Weiss beer Rats and then berry. especially goes the in. fucking my the the Meyer lemon goes. Yeah. Woo. Like, and that shit, I can t- I taste that like as soon as it got sunny and kind of hot out, my mouth just kind of filled up with Meyer Lemon. Goes. I saw that I think also in cans earlier t- this week, which is perfect. I, I, I expected think, I this for that in bottles to though. be. I expected this to be special. Yeah, and it is a land shark with a lime in it. This would be. This maybe is good colder. It's not as cold as. I mean, it's very do. drinkable, and if you know, I was at a party, I would drink ten of these, and I'd feel all right. But you know, or there's a goat kicking a lime. I just I want East Rock to maintain its significance and specialness. Uh, there there have been some beers that haven't hit the mark from East Rock, mm. um, and maybe this isn't one of them. I, I would definitely say from a summer drinker, uh, this is this is not the one I would choose. I would still choose the Meyer Lemon Goes or yeah. the Blackberry Goes. Black any of the Goes are are, are pretty good. Um, the Raspberry Goes is fine. It's like, a, it's, like a, it's a less good blackberry goes. Less good goes? Yeah. It's like you drink the raspberry goes and you're just like, I wish I was drinking the blackberry goes instead. Mm, mm, mm. I mean, this is a better summer drinker than the other beer I have here for as my summer drinker, which is Sea <laughs> Hag, considering you can drink 10 of those 
and you will not remember where you are. <laughs> no, no, no. No, I was drinking uh, Road to Ruins the other day, and I was like, yeah, this is the wrong beer for this. Yeah, no, I've, I've done that Outside many times in the past. Uh, speaking about forgetting where you are and wishing you could, uh, the first film, well, let's, let's do, I don't know, some news stuff. MGM got sold to Amazon. Yeah, I mean, does this mean that doesn't mean that? My first thought was, does this mean No Time to Die is coming straight to Amazon? No, it's getting us. Nope, it's getting a worldwide thing. They have no ability to really do anything. They just own the stuff. The partial rights to it, they get fifty percent rights to uh, Bond. Mm -hmm. The Broccoli family still controls that. Uh, distribution rights, the uh-huh. marketing rights, the casting rights. They they still have like that ironclad grip on it. They have Stargate now. They can do some Stargate stuff. That's pretty they good. can remake Singing in the Rain. Is that an MGM property? Oh, they, I'm sure they're already working on that. Uh, you know. Um, For this year. The back catalog will be good. Unfortunately, you won't ever be able to find the movies because Prime's interface is hot shit. But I don't even think they have an interface By hot anymore. shit, I mean like garbage. Hot garbage. I'm pretty sure the Amazon Prime streaming is just IMDb TV. Because that's the first four things on like my Amazon window is just free shit from IMDb TV. IMDb TV. I mean, I don't, know, I don't know what's going on there in Amazon. Maybe they don't care. Maybe they're just like, they'll find it. No. Or uh, they'll die speaking, trying. Speaking of, of Amazon properties, uh, I love the Paramount dump-off of films. They're, the trailer for Tomorrow War, the Chris Pratt future alien movie came out today. It's the most uninspired, insipid-looking garbage I've ever seen. I watched like one second of that trailer, and I was like, I'm pretty sure this was made ten years ago. I'm pretty sure. Or yeah. they've de-aged Chris Pratt for some reason. It just it, it looks like Edge of Tomorrow, if Edge of Tomorrow was like, melted into the skyline universe mm. and the skyline universe is like weird heart whatever that may be yeah. was also extracted from it yeah that looked awful and i watched did you see the trailer for lizzie's story i did not see the trailer for lizzie's story it's very um the king story? yeah it's very true to the book which is unfortunate no oh. which means that there's clues left and they use a lot of the language from the book like bool this is actually this has been a, stuff. a big week for trailers because you got the Escape Room sequel, Tournament of Champions trailer. What's that? Escape Room was like this 2019 January horror film release that people liked because it's basically Cube minus all the gore. Mm-hmm. So um, why would you watch it? People liked the, the trap ideas and the, the room concepts. And the trailer for this kind of looks like more of the same. I found the film boring as mm-hmm. shit because... If you're a horror movie, give me a fucking R rating. Or if you're not like a ghost story, right? Um, it showed. It showed. This is one of those trailers that showed everything. It's just like here's every single sure. puzzle room in this film, against like a weird variation of Muse's survival. And then uh, last night in Soho, finally. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It looks. It looks okay. I just don't like Edgar Wright. I think Edgar Wright's fine. Like, yeah, I mean, like, we're always going to be on different sides of that, but... I, yeah, but I don't love him. Like, I like Shaun of the Dead a lot, and I like Hot Fuzz, but since then, I've been like, mm, he's okay. I mm-hmm. thought At World's End, um, and... Well, I like I like Scott Pilgrim vs. the World a lot. But At World's End and Baby Driver didn't do a fucking thing for me. No, I still don't know what Except the deal with Baby Eliza Driver Gonzalez, was. Which is a good thing. Um, yeah. It made a little I bit think, of money. I think he's a good director, but I don't think he's this... 
he's fine, but I don't visionary. Think he, yeah, he's not this like millennial auteur that they like are trying to make him out to be. I mean, he's not even like a millennial, but they just they they cast him his they write about him in this. Is he not these, a millennial? I thought he was. No, he's like probably forty. No, he's like his forties. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. But he's, it looks, it looks interesting. Fine. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it I like, like the it people looks like in a it. Really weird take on the, a Gallio or, or um, uh, uh, Nicholas Rage kind of film. Um, really quickly, going back to that uh, MGM sale. Yeah. The one thing I wonder if this goes through quickly enough, the soggy bottom go direct to streaming. Amazon has had no history of putting stuff direct to Amazon. Yeah, and I don't think a prestige film like that would go. Direct to and they've had pretty good luck getting people Oscars doing things the way they want to do them. So you may get what you may. I can see like a three week theatrical release. Window. Exactly, you actually may get the movie if it's done in time. You may get the movie earlier than we got Phantom Thread, and then so it goes like do like a Manchester by the Sea. It spends like a month in theaters. In various degrees, and, it's or like whatever. A Christmas and then it goes day th- to uh, Amazon streaming. Like it comes yeah. out in late November. Yeah, it's a Christmas day exactly. streaming release, um, which would be cool. which is good. I'm glad to see this world, this turnaround of of the theaters still being the priority, but this what used to be six month and was you know has up two years ago, a year ago now, three months get reduced down to forty five days, thirty days. I believe that's the perfect time frame to have. Mm-hmm. You know. I don't want to see day release, kind of. I, I, I'm not at that point yet where... I, I couldn't tell you that I wouldn't stream Dune instead of going to see it in theaters if it's released the same day on streaming. And so I kind of want to have the incentive to go see a movie like that sure. in theaters. Yep. Um, and so I think 30 days is like perfect. I think 45 days is also fine. But well, like I am happy that the 90 days... 180 right. days, especially of years ago, is gone. I think to that end, though, I think like I, I think Disney's become much maligned for their like premium access, whatever. But I think it's a good idea. It's Cruella is there. It's in theaters, or it's on Disney Plus if you want it. You have to pay for it. But if you're willing to pay for it, you can watch it for you can watch it as many times as you want. Who cares? Mm-hmm. But I think that's where the the HBO. I think you're right about something like HBO Max. Yeah, HBO Max, not HBO Plus. HBO Max or Amazon or one of those or Netflix where it just kind of if you already subscribe like here it is you can wake up at 1201 and, and like watch Dune if you want um, and I feel the same way because I think if it is available on streaming I'm going to watch it on streaming first before I go see the movie I mean my life could be totally different in October than it is right now um, I'm very happy to have something like the first movie we're going to talk about uh, for, for ostensibly free because of my Netflix thing, which I don't even think about. I would I would have preferred not to have that available at all to me. But sure, I'm so interested to hear your opinion of this. Um, because only because I didn't know. No, and I wasn't sure where you where, where you're going to be with this. It's one. interesting, also, like for films like Black Widow to have that available on premiere, is the fact that like I like the idea that you know I could spend thirty dollars to have that available to me. I'd almost prefer to spend the thirty dollars than to go see that in theaters. Well so that's but that's the thing. So for us, for our family who become like huge Marvel people, we're gonna go see it and we're gonna spend thirty dollars well, to own it. Split split that on. Whatever. We'll talk about that later. But we'll do it because my kids will watch it like over and over and over again. And the same thing will happen with um, In the Heights. We just got our tickets for In the Heights 
We will. They will. If they like it, and it's, there's no reason that they wouldn't. It doesn't sound It'll like it'll be thirty days of thirty days of in the heights, yeah. which again is is fine. Is is be, is it'll be a nice change of pace. It'll be better than like going back to the Aladdin well and listening to that just horror show over and over and over again. Um, but yeah, I think this is I think this is a really interesting time, and where like there's a lot of people that are uh, are criticizing you know this kind of streaming thing. I think most. Of these studios, are finding like it's a it's kind of a, a positive. It's a it's a I, bit of a boon because I, I think you, I think movies that people want to see in theaters are going to make the money. I mean, Godzilla versus Kong made the money. I it would have made a little more money, but yeah. But I bet you anything that the people that made Spiral wish that they could have had some kind of online digital paywall along with. The, I mean, the, the theatrical release. Because, I'm not gonna be surprised if Spiral gets dumped for twenty bucks in two weeks when it drops oh up. I'm sure but it will next, probably the week after you know, a week from now I'm sure it will when it's in third place I, but they probably also, want the two weeks of first place they wanted it to make a slight little maybe above its budget but in I think America. it would have made that anyway but it would have made more if people would have it, made, it would have made more in its first two weeks if people could have just watched it at home I might have actually watched it in my like paid you know whatever amount of money to watch it in my house if I didn't have to go... I'm not going to the theater to watch Saw. But because you were going to talk about it, I might myself watch it just to, to do it. Um, but now I can't. And now I'm never going to see it because I don't care. Somewhere, Max Mingelli wept. He hasn't cried this hard since he last saw The English Patient. I think he oh, likes he? The English Patient. Oh, is that his dad? Yeah. Huh. Um, no, He's who British. likes the English that's, a, that's always impressive to me. He has one of, like, the best, like, I, I assume he has a British accent, but he has, like, one of the most solid core American accents I've mm. heard from an actor. He maybe, maybe just has an American That'd accent. That'd be an interesting list to make. <laughs> the people that, <laughs> that British will, people that have good American accents. Or just, like, general, like, foreigners who have good American accents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. John Cena. Where's he from? He's from Massachusetts. Is he from Massachusetts? Of course. Why is that? Of course. Be seen. Just, all this. This might be something we have to cut out. But there is there is something, and I don't. I'm a white person, so I'm allowed to say this. But John Cena, Matt Damon, and Mark Wahlberg all look the fucking same to me, mm. and they're all John from, Cena and Matt Damon for sure. And they're all from like this region of I don't know, forty miles away from each other. Oh. I, I think it's a thing. Something in the water. I think it's like a something yeah, Aaron like a, It's like a trauma. No, it's like a trauma thing. You know, like like the it's it's a toxic Avenger style thing. Yeah, they all have like faces. Like, like the big. jaws are the jaw. They look like, like they have no they, flesh on their face. Yeah, it's just like just, their jaw is look, just bone. They and look skin. like Dick Tracy characters. Mm, they do look like Dick Tracy characters, especially Matt Damon old. Yeah, old Matt Damon looks really hideous. I was watching. We were watching Thor Ragnarok the other day, and the part where they're reenacting like him and who was it? Chris Pine are reenacting like the story of it's, who I forget. I remember who plays Sam Thor. Neil's in that scene, right? Sam Neil is Odin, yeah. yeah. But Matt Damon's Loki, and I was like, oh my god, no, 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 it's terrible. It's, it's, I think it's Liam Hedsworth. I think it's one of them. Is, oh, um, it's one of his, his one brother. Hemsworth, yeah. Oh, that's funny. I mean, that's funny on that end, but Matt Damon looks like shit. <laughs> That's what I said to myself. I actually, I didn't say it to myself. I said it out loud to my kids. and like, who's Matt Damon? And I was like, don't worry about it. Speaking of looking like shit, the first movie we're going to talk about today is Army of the Dead. 
They're not what you think they are. They're smarter. They're faster. They're organized. What you can hope for is to die. Oh, Scheiße. You got That's crossing the line. The year is whatever, and uh, there... oh, you're doing this one. You said I wanted. I was going to oh, do this one. Oh, right, right, right. Um, and there's some kind of zombie. Thing has escaped from a military transport, and um, it has infected Las Vegas with Zombies. zombie. And um, then the military puts shipping containers around Las Vegas, and then Las Vegas is just this, is a sovereign zombie state with a refugee camp next to it. Um, yeah, it's no longer a part of the United States, if I remember. Whatever. Right. Um, Which is just a weird. Just a weird choice to, to like, as a, from like a, a governmental perspective to be like, okay, this isn't just an affected region, but it's like no longer, no longer a part, part of, of the yeah. country. Um, Dave Batista plays Scott Ward, who is a guy who just killed a lot of zombies, including his girlfriend, by slowly stabbing her in the head while crying. Uh, that was great. Um, he is approached by a man named, I got it here, Bly Tanaka. Tanaka. Um, to go into the the uh, sovereign zombie nation of Las Vegas, a Z nation, and yeah, Z nation, and to extract two hundred million dollars that he was a casino owner and he had two hundred million dollars in a vault and he's going to give Dave Batista fifty million dollars to split up amongst his team any way he wants. And so Dave Batista goes through this really elaborate team building process along with. Like a scale payment system, which I'm not sure, like how he arrives at any of those numbers. I'm I'm guessing some improv there, where he was just like Zack Snyder's, just like just say anything, and he was just like the safe cracker gets twenty five hundred dollars, even though he's asked to do the exact same stuff that everybody else is asked to do. Whatever, whatever. I don't know. It doesn't matter. This huge teams. Well, assembled. I mean, except for except for you know Tig Notaro, who wasn't asked to do anything until you know she decided to not be a rapist. And then got cast in the film. And and my favorite thing about that is that Chris Delia, Delia or whatever his name is, makes I guess kind of some sense. Tignataro makes way more sense, and I wish she could have really have been in the movie, rather than the dream sequence when they get to that hangar and she's talking about like who's important, and she's like I'm more important than all these people, and everybody around her is all fuzzy. Except for her. I'm just like, just cut this part of the movie out. It's totally unnecessary. Just get the fuck, get rid of I'm it. I'm going she's the best, she's like the best part of this film. Right. Which is like, <laughs> speaks, speaks volumes that the Hail Mary that this fucking movie had to make because of the fact that Chris D'Elia is a rapist. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. 
you know, pr- proves how, how much talent Zack Snyder has. The best uh, part of the movie, the best line in the movie is when they, like, they're like, you'll do it. She's like, my life sucks. That's, yeah. that, that was like Two million dollars will change it. That was, and she didn't even say anything about it. Um, so he assembles this team, which includes the daughter of the woman that he was seeing. It includes uh, Vanderhoe, played by Amari Hardwick, who wields, like, a huge saw. But apparently he's, like, a Thor kind of guy. And the, thaw, the saw is too big for... Uh, Officer Cummings, um, played by Theo Rossi, who is like ostensibly like the movie's kind of villain. He plays like the immigration or like the the uh, refugee camp guy, whatever. Villain. Well, he kind of. I mean, the zombies are too, but I'd they, call Martin more the villain. He, he's not. Garrett Delahunt is never the villain. <laughs> Garrett Delahunt is the second best thing in this movie. Um, doesn't matter. I'm, I'm going too deep into this. He, they put a team together. They go into Las Vegas. There's zombies. There's alpha zombies, which are very fast and who like to stand above. Uh, they're I Am Legend zombies, basically. They're yeah. I Am Legend zombies, but they also um, have seen some paintings. So they they have, there's a, I love that tableau of like the last, Da Vinci's Last Supper when they're like, with the baby, when he mm. pulls the baby yeah. out of it. And it was like, oh my God, Zack Snyder, you suck. Um and then um, some stuff. I mean, I don't know how much spoiler we want to get. Like they get. It doesn't matter. We're gonna spoil the shit out of this movie. Okay, we're gonna spoil the shit of this movie. Everybody. There's like a there's like a, a a side plot which becomes the main plot of of the woman that the daughter of the woman that Batiste's character was seeing works at this refugee camp and she goes in because there's this woman caught, there's this woman that's the coyote who like ferries people in to break into slot machines they can get money so when they get released from the refugee camp or they can buy their way out of the refugee camp it's very complicated um most of the people in this movie die or turn into zombies except for her and then the movie ends spoiler alert when Vanderhoe rents a private jet to mexico city for with cash and finds out much later than everybody i mean Dave Batista gets bit by a zombie and turns into a zombie 20 minutes later. I mean, he gets bit in the shoulder, so maybe it's because it's so close to his brain. Maybe. But he, Vanderhoek is just bit on his bi- like the back of his bicep. What is this? Well, it's got a, it's, it's got a, back here. That's called a tricep. The tricep. It's got to travel through all that tricep meat, man. He does have a lot of tricep meat from lifting saws. Um, and then I guess there might be a sequel in Mexico City. Well, there's going to be two prequels. And like, a, there's gonna be a prequel film at least, and an anime prequel series. God help us! This the movie... anime prequel se- series is the one thing that might be interesting because it's actually about how like the the zombies took over Las Vegas. I mean, really, I don't fucking. This movie stinks. This movie's terrible. But it's also like one of those things where it doesn't. It's not terrible enough to draw that much of my ire. It's it's terrible enough to draw all that all of my ire. Oh really? Like you like hated it? Hated yeah, it? I fucking hate this. Movie. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely dislike it. And if I, I so this is one of those interesting things. And I think this is true for both of these movies that we're going to talk about today. Um, if we had a rating system, it would be hard for me to pick like like a ten out of ten or out of five. Like what I wanted to do here, because part of me wants to do like a one and a half. It's if it's out of five, but that seems like simultaneously too low and too high but like three or four seems like weird i don't know how i don't know how to rate the badness of this movie because i just kind of don't care about it this seems like Zack snyder had like a big stupid fucking smirk on his face he thought he was being so fucking cool and so fucking clever and he was his own cinematographer and it shows (laughs) oh yeah 
Yeah, because a lot of this movie, even when Tignataro isn't in it, is totally out of focus. Which no, it's I it's, love. it's like it's shallow depth of field. Um, it has it's just my biggest issue with this film is it wastes your fucking time. Mm. It is a gigantic 150 minute long waste of time. It's never saying anything. It's never being clever. It's never doing anything new. No, it is. Fucking aliens, but worse. Like the like a lot of its story beats follow aliens beat for beat. The entire Martin character, because it turns out secretly that the hotel that um, Tanaka wants the zombie queen's head so that they can create a zombie, zombie army. army out which of you it. Clearly, which, can't control zombies. Which apparently was you know originally from the Area Fifty One thing. Like the original intent was to create a zombie army, but he's just Paul Reiser's character. Yeah, from but aliens. Garrett Dillahunt, awesome. Even uh, though he makes, even though the things he says makes no sense. And the entire ending sequence where you see Peter's like the helicopter's gone, and you think Peter's is gone, just as similar to when Bishop has left in the end of Aliens. Um, yeah, I mean, it's is, kind of funny. Yeah. I also watched the I also watched the half in the bag review of this, and they kind of like go into that yesterday. Mm. Um, no, it's but it's 150 minutes of terrible looking CGI of. Just the redoing some of the shit he did with his much superior Dawn of the Dead remake, mm-hmm. which is good enough. I've always thought that movie was good enough, but um, it was because Zack Snyder didn't get free reign. Mm-hmm. And if there's one person, like Netflix loves giving free reign to people, if there's one person who should never fucking have free reign over anything, it is Zack Snyder. Oh my god. I mean, he's there's, there's an extra half hour of nothing attached to this movie that... Cut it out. I mean, and it still stinks. But that has nothing to do with anything. No, it's 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 mean, unnecessarily mean at times. It's, um, you know, the, the, the weird illusions that they're keeping captive women. And Zack Snyder had cut stuff to suggest that the zombies were going to rape the women to have zombie babies. Um, was something I had cut yeah. from it? That's that's a sexual violence thing that's well, odd. Or, you yeah, know, the entire, the entire death of Maria, which is like odd... Like uh, which one's Maria? The one who kind of like professes her love. Oh for yeah, Batista. yeah. Batista has the same conversation with his non-daughter and the woman. Yeah, and like she then gets her like neck snapped in an extremely gross, violent way for no real apparent reason. Yeah. Um, and just just it looks bad. It's edited bad. It sounds bad. Um, it does sound it, bad. It's sound designs all over the place. It's depth of field that never has any focus. The all. Of its gore, which is the one thing you come into a zombie film, just as either CGI jokes, the entire sequence where that zombie gets shot to death by, um, I think it's by Maria, when she's like has the the fifty caliber gun mm. and the comes apart in pieces that look like oh, Legos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, everything just looks bad. In this. Well, there's and, another and the fucking yeah. the worst. The, the talking about wasting your time when Mark like when Martin dies with that tiger sequence. That's like a minute. And a half long scene of him being thrown around, but it's also a like, rip off. Why is it so long? Because I think he's trying to shove. So this is why. I well, hate it's also it. another rip off of Aliens, but it's also a rip off of the Revenant. And don't you think that like Zack Snyder the whole time was like, I'm going to show them how like you do this, how you do this scene, and it's just like, no, no, no this is worse. This everything yeah, looks fake you know, here. You know Everything's you do that, totally you know looks you do like that he's cool? planking in you midair. Know you do that cool. You have the guy get thrown into the fucking like car. He starts to get up. The zombie tiger grabs him by the head, and then you do like the biting off, crushing of the head thing. Well, what? Because the crushing of the head thing looks cool. That's fine, well, and that's like it looks okay, Yeah, 
But like, if you're but gonna, this is like that's that's ten seconds. If, that's ten fucking seconds. You exactly. cut out fifty seconds of nonsense. If he's gonna die by the tiger biting off his head, just have the tiger bite off his head. We've already seen the tiger a bunch of times. Yes, yeah, so, like have the and tiger if you want, come if up, you make it slow, bite his head off, and make it ten seconds. Make it slow, right. cracking, and he's screaming. You know, ten seconds of that. That's gonna be a harder hit than uh, anything you've seen. Martyrs does a quick like skidding scene in probably half the time. That's horrific. Um, yeah, I mean, that was... I thought that scene was just... I thought this guy was a good horror... I thought he was supposed to be a decent horror director. This guy can't do anything. But it seems like he made this whole movie with a giant kind of, like, mental erection. Like, I'm... It seems so weird that he made this movie before Justice League. Um, or even, like, right before Justice League came out. Because before Justice League came out, and everyone was kind of like, you know what, Zack Snyder, maybe he's alright. Everyone fucking hated Zack Snyder. And if this movie, if Justice League had never come out, people would be like, you know who sucks and shouldn't get another movie? Zack fucking Snyder. I'm- but we have to assume that the Snyder cut had some oversight. Had something there. Because there's there's definitely Snyder there's definitely Snyder stuff in the in the Snyder cut that sucks ass. Did, but did, that fucking post scene, oh, the yeah. apocalypse scene, which is the one thing he filmed post doing this, even his raw stuff from that Snyder cut, like mm-hmm. which most of that movie is, is probably done under some studio control or done under some control, of like Chris Terrio or like the writers mm-hmm. of that. Um, the one thing he's kind of like shot when he got free reign of that, which is that entire Joker scene, is fucking terrible. This makes no it sense. It looks yeah. bad. It has that same shallow depth of the field. It's filmed on digital. Like this is this and that scene are the only things he's filmed on digital. Mm-hmm. Um, like when he's given absolutely free reign, he's he stinks because he's a terrible. bad director. But even the stuff that he like, even so, the part of me wanted to have like turn this conversation, and I don't really want to have any more of this conversation. Part of me wanted to turn this conversation into like we only have two movies to talk. I about. think the thing that he th- thinks he's doing, I hate the thing that I hate most about this movie, like as a movie, like aesthetically and stuff like that. I hate it, but it doesn't like offend me. I'm offended as a film goer by how much of a provocateur he thinks he's being with. Like, putting vaguely political messages, like, inside of it, and, like, not really taking, like, sides with anything, but making sure that everybody knows that, like, Democrats are saying, like, oh, these people in the, like, you can't nuke the people in the refugee camp, and, like, you know, or that they're, and then the Republicans being, like, with Sean Spicer as, like, the stand-in for it, being, like, no, we have to, anyone that, like, has a temperature, like, we keep them in in, the, in a fucking refugee camp indefinitely because apparently it takes everybody a different amount of time, maybe 20 minutes to years, to turn into a zombie. It makes no sense. But I think he thinks he's being some kind of like ultra provocative political thinker or something like that. And honestly, I would, pre- I would have preferred to just watch like an S. Craig Zoller movie because I think he comes by his provocations honestly and has like a point of view and is not afraid of that point of view where I think Zack Snyder is just too clever for his own good. Could you imagine like S. Craig Zeller getting 90 million dollars to make Army of the Dead? It would probably be awesome because it probably would it would have had a 35 minute skinning scene where a zombie like skinned. And it would have been an 80 minute long movie by the way. Right. No, no it wouldn't have been. It would have been like 240 minutes. But it would have felt earned. Oh, I'm thinking of a Jer- I'm thinking of like Jeremy Soliné doing that. <laughs> it would have felt to- but and that's the thing. It would have felt totally earned. This thing feels like a tongue-in-cheek, sarcastic ruse um, to say 
ostensibly nothing. Because yeah. I'm not sure what the point of this movie is. No, what, what's making me upset about these last few years is that Hiroki Sonata is better than all these things he's doing. Oh, oh, the guy that played um, Tanaka. Tanaka. Yeah, he played Scorpion in Mortal Kombat. That's right, he did. Yeah, um, I thought I recognized him. You know, he was he played that one character that uh, Hawkeye kills, like chases down and kills before he's like, "Don't do that. Don't give me hope." In Japan, he's like the the yakuza leader in oh, Avengers in, Endgame um, when he's Ronin. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. He's that. That kind of like oh, interesting throwaway character in um, I think he's I think he's the villain in the Wolverine, hmm. um, and then that's like throwaway one of the throwaway characters in that shitty Life movie. I didn't see it. Um, but every time he's doing it, he's giving a hundred percent. He's great in um, Mr. Holmes, the Ian McKellen, the Bill Condon oh, directed yeah, yeah, yeah. Ian McKellen. Well, I didn't see that one. It was good. Yeah, um, he's great in that. It's just like every time I see him, like he's doing work, and I'm like, come on. When I kind of Come on. Don't you kind of feel that way about maybe not to the same level but like I feel the same way about Batista. Like I kind of like seeing Batista in movies. I don't think he's a good enough actor to carry like some of the emotions of this movie, but I'm not 100% sure why you would cast Batista. I think, he's, I think if he's you need emotions. De- I think he's decent enough to do it. I just think he needs a right director. Right, because I think when he's when he has the right director like Blade Runner 2049, yeah. that that have scene you, fucking Have you heard carries. his dream role? He wants no. to play Hemingway. Oh, that makes no sense, but sure. <laughs> just, I'd want to see it. <laughs> Whatever. Um, he has to restructure his body. But sure, whatever. Nah, Hemingway probably looked that way, you know? When he wrote The Sun Also Rises, he was just I mean, juicing. He's really fat, but, I mean, he's not... Just, I don't know, it doesn't matter. Um, but no, nothing... It has this... It has that weird... Cruelty. Cruel, cruelty to its violence. But it's not cruel. It's not cruel enough to matter. It's like shitty cruelness. Yeah, no, no, and that's the thing. Like, I think a film like this, if it's trying to make the fucking stab you in the throat political commentary that this movie is kind of trying to do, but not really. If it wants like, to do it, but then it do needs it. to be cruel, right? But it needs to be like cruel with a purpose. But some of the like, all this just kind of tries to seem like it's trying to be like fun. Um, and or it is not fun, but it's also not. It's not fun because it's like yeah, it needs to be it or needs whatever. To be it's just hammy. Slog. It sucks. Yeah, it needs to be hammy, or it needs to be cruel for a reason. Like it needs to balance that line that that Romero did. Like right. Romero did with Night and and Day are both like extremely unsettling, gory films, and then right smack dab in the middle is Dawn, which is like this kind of like goofy nonsense joke of a movie. I mean, right. that's not even discrediting Don, but there's like fucking zombies getting pies in their face in Dawn of the Dead. <laughs> Is you that know? a headshot? Does it count as a headshot? <laughs> the, 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 zombies, the zombies do not... They do eat it, though, and they apparently, oh, it turns out, they prefer coconut cream pie hmm. to human flesh. That's all you have to do. Interesting. They were like, oh, we could have been doing this the whole time. The two things, and maybe we can end with this. The two things... I've always wanted to see... I ever tell you this? I wanted to see a zombie movie where the zombies... Like when they became zombies, were vegetarian, but their flesh became so good tasting that humans started hunting them. That's awesome. You got to write that. That's <laughs> no, a good okay. movie. I mean, that's just a dumb premise. No, but if anybody's a good writer, you write that. Um, the two things that really bug me about this movie are well, the two scenes that kind of I was like, I'm out. Is or not even two scenes that proved it that whatever. When that one guy brings two extra people with him. What's his name? Guzman? Guzman. He brings two extra people with him to like the 
Oh. To be part of the thing. And then one guy's like, I don't want to. Like, he's there for like 20 minutes. And then he's like, I don't want to do this. And then he just leaves. It's like, Zack Snyder, why is this in there? Why have this guy show up? Who and, the other one, and the other one's just used to show you Martin's a bad guy. Yeah, yeah. When he's it's like, trying yeah, to hit we, on her, we know. Like, don't hit on me. We know oh, Martin's I'm going to kill you by zombies. We know Martin's a bad guy. And then... I mean, and I, I admit, like, that's like the one sequence that could have been cool. Mm. But it's, it's still done poorly. Like, when the hibernating zombies, and she's, like, going through them, stabbing yeah. him in the head. Like, that scene could have been shot well if, like, a John Leach or whatever, or is that David Leach, like, kind of... Or um, Gareth Evans had directed mm. this, like oh, just yeah. like a single cut, single shot take of because like because they let you see stuff, yeah, and they wouldn't be more that, shots of people's you, legs and of zombies, yeah, because you see that sequence and you're like that could be a good fucking sequence, like hibernating zombies don't make any sense, but if she's like balleting through them, stabbing him in the head as they wake up, that could be cool, sure. But um, unfortunately, Zack Snyder doesn't know how what cool looks like. Right, and I forget. He I, knows what orange looks like. <laughs> now I forget what the other one is, and I guess it doesn't matter. This movie is. Uh, Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off on that. No, no, no. It wasn't important, and I was kind of just you know, um, just belaboring the point. I just I feel like it's one of those things where like sometimes you need to provide evidence of a movie's badness. Just to, I'm not a Zack Snyder person, and I don't like zombie movies. So this movie is starting at like, uh, you know, way far behind where like a normal movie would. But it didn't, um, it didn't do anything to help itself kind of move into like being a watchable or normal or enjoyable like experience. I mean, no. I, I thought it was even the the first like the credit sequence is getting a lot of um, it's fucking good press. Stupid. Who cares? Who fucking cares? There are more obvious like credit sequences in the whole world. Like the Shaun of the Dead <laughs> credit stuff is be- like when it's showing you people like ambling around. Have you seen? You've seen Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, yeah. Like ambling around zombies before they become zombies to, um, I forgot what song it is. But like that's the same scene. Sure. Done more clever. There's a million I mean, people. I mean, you I just said you're not a big Edgar Wright fan, but Edgar Wright is like, if. We had two directors left, and there was Zack Snyder and Edgar Wright. I'd prefer Z- Edgar Wright directed oh, everything. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I I don't know how many more of these Zack Snyder things I can take, and I think it bums me out that it seems like he's getting. Uh, he's getting a free pass because Justice League was significantly better than free Justice pass League. status seems is like the exact thing that I wanted to say. But I mean, he's just going to keep making these movies. He's not going to show any growth. Just make Fountainhead, and then people hate you again, Zack Snyder. Just do it. But how much? That's the thing. But he needs like gunfire. He needs special effects. Like what? How could he even make the Fountainhead? The destruction of the apartment complex. How long could he actually make that last for? He needs thirty-five minute action sequences. He just needs it. You you know we could make that a 35-minute long action sequence. Just that one thing? Just or like, like extending the elevator at the end. Somehow like other buildings would explode and he'd be like, oh, look at this. It's it's a, it's a Fincher-style fight club thing. Makes me tired. Makes me tired. Uh, no, nothing, nothing. Yeah, and I'm not, I'm not a Snyder person, clearly. Um, zombie is my least favorite of the horror genres. But I'm always willing to accept when it's done decently well like I mean, boils boils 20, 20 days, days later yeah. later and uh even it's like kind of a slightly mediocre sequel were both worked for me because they're doing new things and if this is a big opportunity i think to do something clever and new had this been just a heist movie focusing in on yes. the fucking heist absolutely during a zombie apocalypse 
I would have had, probably had fun with it. So here's the thing, though. But that's this I mean, isn't a heist movie. It's though. perfect. This movie is not a good zombie movie. It's not a good heist movie. It's not even like a very good or interesting team movie. Like you know what I mean? It's just like nothing. No, it's just like imagine aliens if it sucked. With and like aliens a, is already fine. Um, with you know an extra. 15 minutes for no reason because we're not doing a lot of world building at all. No, there's no world building done here. I like how the zombies are so clever but they can't find their way out of shipping containers. Or over shipping containers. They're so strong and fast. Yeah, you think they would World War Z that shit. Then they could probably smell it. Remember that scene of World War Z? Like, that movie sucks. But, like, at least the zombies, like, the the entire sequence when the zombies are falling on top of each other, get over the wall. Yeah. Like, that was cool. That's a cool idea. That's, you know what I tuned out about this movie, though? When the shipping container fell perfectly in the place. Because it's so it's shitty. So stupid. Everything about this is bad. Whatever, Mario. Um, Ryan Harris on the storm. How do we transition here? Uh, oh, you know what a good group movie? Good group formulation movie? I think we got, uh, I'm interested to know how you feel about this next movie. It's... Um, Really? Are you? Like, I already texted you something. A little bit. It is... Um, who directed this movie? Anders Thomas Jensen. I, he's apparently a pretty well-beloved... He's an Academy Award-winning um, director-ish already. He's, he won the uh, live-action short oh, from, okay. uh, Election Night, um, which I've never watched and actually intended to watch, but I forgot to watch it before this. I've never seen any of his films, um, but he's a beloved kind of like black comedy director yeah. in Denmark. Uh, I know a lot of people have loved uh, like Flickering Lights and Men and Chicken from him. Um, he also uh, co-wrote The Dark Tower. Uh, that explains something. Um, it is uh, Riders of Justice. Why are you here? I'm here. But he skims out of that station seconds before the accident happened. To Tandem Olesen, der er præsident for rockergruppen Riders of Justice. Det var et attentat. Jeg vil bede om at finde alt, hvad I kan for rockergruppen Riders of Justice. Det er Emmentaler, vores face recognition expert. Det er, når det er god til at finde ting. Er det noget, I kan, uden at ligge spors? I har fattet, det er det nemmeste for dig i verden. Det er det nemmeste for mig i verden. Og alle er med på, at vi nu er på vej ud og møde en psykopatisk rock. Nu snakker vi med ham. Har du slået nogen ihjel før? Det, det så i hvert fald ud som om, at... Vi har ikke talt om at slå folk ihjel, Lennart. Det er rocker. Det er jo ikke, fordi vi skal bombe en vågestue. Vi er med. Starter med at placere buffer i fjeder. Ja, jeg, jeg, jeg kan bare godt lide os. Uh, I'm not going to do the beginning of this film because like, it's kind it's of a tie around. Marcus is a soldier in Afghanistan. His wife, Emma, and uh, daughter, Mathilda, um, have had car issues. Mathilda was supposed to you know, ride her bike home, uh, but her bike was stolen in our wraparound story. Um and Emma decides to drive her to the train station. They're going to go into the town for the day. Uh, that's kind of the recollection I got. Mm-hmm. Um, they go to the train station. They get on the train. 
where they meet Otto, who has been recently fired from his job. Otto is a mathematician who uh, has been trying, who is trying to sell to his colleagues this idea of an algorithm that could kind of predict future events based upon probabilities. Mm-hmm. Otto's sitting in one of the seats, and Otto gives up the seat to Emma uh, to sit down. Uh, she sits down, and soon enough, a, another train collides with that side of their train, um, killing Emma and several others, including uh, the, I can't remember his name, Eagle. Eagle, who was about ready to turn evidence on the leader of the Writers of Justice, this bike gang, uh, Kurt Leader. Um, Otto's kind of overcome with guilt, and as he starts researching, he starts finding out that the probability of this being a random accident, because beforehand he had seen a man take one bite of a very expensive sandwich and throw it out along with a juice. Mm-hmm. Can't really find out why that juice got thrown out as well. The sandwich was dry. Yeah, the sandwich was dry, but we don't know why the, why the juice got thrown out. Anyways. I like the juice because it means they say juice like a lot of times. And juice becomes really, like a very... A really expensive juice, too. Right. And I, Seven euros? I, just thought, I thought the close. conversation was funny about like why he wouldn't throw out the juice. Exactly. Um, Otto becomes convinced that this wasn't an accident, that this was a, a planned assassination of Eagle to get Kurt off of um, his murder charges. Mm-hmm. Um, Marcus has now come home. He's been in Afghanistan as a soldier his entire life. Otto, along with Leonard and uh, their other um, friend, whose name I want to get right, but I always... Ellen was it Emmenthaler, mm. not Analthaler. <laughs> um, eventually talk with Marcus and tell him that the probability of this being a coincidence is extremely low. Uh, they do Emmenthaler's a facial recognition expert. He initially finds the fact that a ninety eight percent match is just this Egyptian man, mm-hmm. but Otto and Leonard are convinced it can't be that. Because of the angle, and so they reduce it down to 95, keep it in Denmark, and they find out that the brother of this man who was going to be on trial was the one they presume to be a 95% match of this person who had left the train. Uh, They present this evidence to Marcus, and Marcus proceeds to kill um, the brother. And Uh, the writers of justice. Yeah. Uh, And throughout... A, a long proceeding of time working with the three kind of Otto, Leonard, and Emmenthaler, um, the three kind of math and technology nerds, uh, proceeds to wipe out the Riders of Justice. Mid- meanwhile, Mathilda, his daughter, um, is trying to convince Marcus to attend counseling to um, get psychological help. Uh, Marcus is unwilling. Um, Marcus even has his his new three friends kind of pose as psychologists to mm. kind of convince them. Uh, but he's he is just systematically murdering the Riders of Justice until eventually we find out that the brother uh, in question, the one that kind of set off this chain of events, wasn't even in town at the time. He was in Germany. Uh, during the train crash. And it turns out that the Egyptian man who was a better match was the one who was indeed on the train 
And it was purely coincidence because a major significant part of this film is the idea of things that have been fated to be versus things that are coincidence. Mm-hmm. Um, is at this point, Marcus kind of cracks and realizes has, you know, being uh, there's, there's a lot of kind of like predetermination versus and fate versus coincidence. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marcus kind of being an atheist sort of, um, naturalist type of individual, irreligious, uh, breaks down because he had, had wanted to have a reason why his wife had died. Sure. And it turns out there was none, that it was just an accident. Mm-hmm. But at this point, shit's hit the fan, and the Riders of Justice come to murder them all. Um, but through circumstances, they are unsuccessful <laughs> and are completely wiped off the face of the earth. This asking sucks. what did we ever do to you? Yeah, this sucks. What did we ever do to you? Yeah, I got mine. Um, and they are killed. Uh, and, and in the end, Marcus injured, and Emmenthaler, Otto, and Leonard also injured. Um, become this weird group knit family thing. Yeah. <laughs> Emmenthaler playing some French horn. And- Mads Mikkelsen looking distinctly uninterested still. He does. He does. Um, this movie. I, ah, I adore this. I, I love this. I love this quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, I, I texted you during it that the, the sequence of events, um, this, this film, I think, plays a really clean role uh, on several levels of, you know, the idea of coincidence versus fate. Uh, Mathilda, who's brilliant. Uh, I don't have the actress's name up here. Um, everyone's doing fucking fantastic work here. Um, is obsessed with finding out that kind of core reason about it. You know, coming back to like her mm-hmm. bicycle being stolen. Uh, it is our kind of framing narrative. It reminds me a lot. That framing narrative reminds me of a lot of like what Serious Man mm. was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, with that kind of, <laughs> I mean, this has a lot of Serious Man vibes for me. Um, uh, yeah, with way more murder, but. Oh yeah, <laughs> it was a lot less like overtly gory than I was expecting. I, was I didn't expecting think it was. A... Yeah, I I had kind of assumed some gore. He just shoots some people in the face. Yeah, um, um, I mean a lot. I mean he shoots a lot of people in the face, but well, for sure. Like yeah. the entire entire bike gang gets gets murdered. Um, but the sequence of events by which Otto kind of reveals to Matilda that you know. There are centillions of reasons, and when he sees like her trying to like find out a core yeah. thesis for why this is happening, you know, and just sometimes you just gotta move on. And when it's revealed that the brother of this bike gang leader wasn't there, he leading into just Marcus's fucking Mads Mickelson just doing Mads Mickelson shit again, mm-hmm. just breaking down in the bathroom, slamming his head, and just like fucking imploding. Um, probably going to be in that that top pretty pretty good chance it's going to be in that top five for me hmm. maybe not winston duke levels but oh i mean i mean we could talk about it i, I mean yeah, but go ahead, but continue. that that entire like sequence of scenes was so perfect for me in terms of synthesizing everything that this film was saying synthesizing that coincidence versus reason synthesizing the entire idea of of masculinity the fact that this movie's kind of subverting that trope of the revenge you know of of the fact that his revenge in the end serves no purpose and the fact that like him doing this isn't wasn't necessarily ever a good thing he saves that you know 
ultimately they saved the one young man from mm-hmm. like a lifetime of horror. Well, I mean, the guy's on trial for something. Yeah. So, I mean, they're clearly not like a good biker gang. No, obviously. Like, obviously, the, this biker gang kind of deserved something. some retribution, but it shouldn't have been this. You know, and it wasn't, it's, it's reason for happening wasn't this. Right. You know, it synthesizes, I mean, it synthesizes, it really, to me, eloquently in that kind of quintuple scenes reduces all of its core premises down. And I think this film is, is smart in that way in that every, you know, there's a few scenes where like it kind of becomes more lighthearted comedy because mm-hmm. there's a lot of black comedy in this, but I think it really stays focused. And I'm, I mean, I, I know a lot of like Anders Thomas Jensen's kind of like really hailed as kind of like one of the better directors of, of Denmark black comedy. Mm-hmm. I think he's kind of known as like kind of like the Martin McDonald of oh, okay. his area. Um, but the, like this film 100% gets me on board of, of seeing his other mm-hmm. films. I guess it's this one's a little less absurdist mm. than his other films, especially I guess Matt Mickelson usually plays like a really freaky character in his other movies. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, this I, 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 I hesitate to find much that's not working for me. Um, yeah. Outside of some like the some of the action sequences can be a little long in the tooth, but besides that thematically this film is incredibly tight yeah i think it I, I think it's good i liked it i again it was one of those things where i would have trouble ranking it if we were gonna if we had like a a, a, a rating system i would have trouble coming up with like the number is or what the number would be i um i think mads and in, in 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 parts of this movie is is excellent and i think in other parts he seems like he doesn't want to be there and i think I, it's like his character, I suppose, doesn't want to be there, but he also just is carrying like a disinterested air um, around with him. I think some of that black comedy goes a little too ridiculous sometimes and stops being relevant and just is kind of funny, which I guess is good. But all of this, and I think the action sequences are almost not action sequences, which I find kind of odd. It's just people getting out of cars and then shooting at people and then Mads kills them. I, I, I do enjoy the focus on the methodical nature by which Marcus disposes of it in the sense of it feels, you know, in comparison to like we're talking about David Leach before, like in comparison to the earnedness of a John Wick. Like this feels kind of like that anti-John Wick idea, whereas that feels controlled in a very earned way. This feels controlled in a unsettling weird way I suppose for so me. I think that's an interesting comparison like the especially end- that cuts be cuts cutting back to the three especially outside of uh, Emin Holler's house uh-huh. where it cuts back to them on the ground and so Marcus methodically going through and then two people who are fucking like disturbed by all this happening yeah yeah, yeah. like I thought that worked really well and I, I don't and it does work um I don't think it's an interesting enough film aesthetically to kind of carry some of those themes over mm. into um uh like the carry those themes into like the heavy territory where that would need to be for it to like really mean something and i think all of those things combined gave me the feeling that this movie was kind of like very half-baked it didn't seem like it was seemed like the stuff when the movie wasn't doing anything like those conversations were like really excellently written conversations. So if this movie goes on my list for next year in terms of anything, I think it would be like a like a screenplay thing. Um, but it would it's be, screenplays. It's its strongest. It's part. its strongest suit, and it's it's when they stop 
talking about what they're talking about. When they stop talking about the plot and they start talking about coincidence and fate and uh, the intersection Trauma. of those exactly the intersection of those things and how it um, how human emotion attached to those very detached things can it can create new kind of disturbing emotions that we don't really have any control or, of or even or even things that are are, are fairly overt like Leonard's obsession uh, obsession with Barnes and what that ultimately meant well I, thought, but I think I think that works like because it I think the I think the problem that I have with this movie is that the scene that works best for me is like the um, if you don't stop talking I'm gonna like punch you, know, you, in the punch nose. you. and then when he pulls the car over and then Leonard gets out and runs into a field and pulls his pants down and essentially oh, asks that, that him. Yeah. Like, I don't even know what he thinks Mads is going to do to him. Is he going to spank him? Is he going to rape him? I have no idea. That shit was fucking dark. And that felt right. Except for the fact that Mads Mikkelsen didn't really seem like he understood or cared what was happening at all. But I, I think that works. I because think it, it works in my mind. I don't think it works on the screen. I think the I think it needed to do something else aesthetically to help to help those two ideas exist in the same in in like the same scene in the same frame. I think the thing it needs is it doesn't have that second to breathe after it um, before kind of like the shootout at the apartment. I think that scene needs the um, when you see later Emmenthaler after Marcus disposes of the four guys in the car. Mm. Um, and that's not the leader is the one that dies he's in the end right yeah he does he's the last guy that dies yeah is he the one that says we didn't do anything to you Mm -hmm. I couldn't remember if he was the one that said we didn't do anything to you or if that was like a secondary guy I think it's the guy I think it's him okay Um, he's had more of like a Middle Eastern look to him he's on the the ground it was the angle yeah possibly (laughs) Um, I think that scene where I can't remember if it's Leonard that comforts Emmenthaler and says, like, let's turn on the radio. No, it is Leonard that says, mm-hmm. let's turn on the radio. I think that needs to be, that scene needs to be extracted from that and put in after Leonard's taking down his pants. Well, you know what I thought of, too, is, remember... Because it doesn't, you don't get enough time for it to, like, just breathe. Well, remember what I complained about last week in Supernova, which is that there's tons and tons and tons of scenes of Colin Firth just staring at a window in the dark? I would have loved to have seen some scenes of Mads Mikkelsen kind of like processing stuff. You know what I mean? Like connecting, maybe not connecting plot dots in his mind, but connecting like emotional thematic dots so that there was some kind of uh, precedence for growth or, see, or emotional movement. That, that scene that you were talking about, that series of scenes which ends with him like smashing his face against the thing. Um, Kind of telegraphs because it doesn't seem like he's. But it doesn't see, seem I like think, he's conf- as conflicted as I think he. The movie feels like with those scenes we should know that he. But is. but I think I think that this film does a good enough job in saying he's the type of person who's going to be so well put together. From a facade standpoint, um, just having seen those type of people right. in my own life in the past, that like when it breaks, that's when you realize like. Everything, right, is getting to but that. Once. I think that's perfect in the sense that I want the aesthetics of the movie to kind of have give me a sub. This movie has no subtext. 
I think is what I'm saying. Is that so there's nothing in that's happening in the movie that demonstrates so Mads doesn't have to demonstrate it, but the film has to find a way to demonstrate it. The film has to sh- find a way to show us that there is like an instability to Mads besides like him being too hard on his daughter when she doesn't want to go for a run. Or like just general quietness. Well, I think give me some give me some give me some camera work. Give me like some like interesting score stuff. Give me give me some interesting framing or or, or staging or something like See, that. I, There's I, just, I, there... I thought the screenplay was doing that work with his inability to admit kind of acts of violence he was committing. Like when he says, I mean, I guess this is after he has his breakdown. When he says like the nose thing, or when he hits. Um, Oh God! Why am I forgetting? Not her boyfriend. The boyfriend. Yeah, Silas. Serious. Serious. When he hits him, he says, "Like I shouldn't have hit him so hard." Like when he's unable to evocate, speak out to the the level of to what he did. Like that's was kind of doing it for me. Was that constantly his inability to, to frame that properly? was suggesting this kind of like huge shield he was constantly putting up. See, which and, is what's again the screenplay doing the work. Again, but but so that's right. And what I would say is that in that exact scene maybe, you need something maybe a beat. You need something you need something in contained within the movie that shows that um not that he knows he's wrong, but that the film knows he's wrong. And maybe maybe all you need there is like a this film maybe at times too, moves too rapid fire with what it's doing. And like if you throw in a beat there, let, that, let him say that, pause, then move on. Because well, I, th- I think there sh- still should be like the subtlety to it. Yeah. Because I think that explosion of emotion at the end when he and that scene sure. works. You can – so narratively, narratively that can still happen. My – I think – so I, I don't but know even something I, Do you think even something as simple as like like a beat, like, like letting that – well, Line pause so for a second, so, then move on. And I don't want to go to another round because it's uh, recent or because it's also Dutch or whatever. Um, stars Thomas Wittenberg and because it stars Matt is, is a much more interesting filmmaker in the sense that one of the things I think is really interesting is that's a group movie too. Well, we, we think. I mean, we're both not too familiar with Anders Thomas. Jones. I mean, I'm assuming based on this movie, if I compare this movie to another round, another round trumps I mean, only, this movie. Only one of them has an Oscar. No, Thomas Vinterberg has not. He, he won Best of Foreign Feet. Right, National he feature did. This he year. did. No. Um, well, won an Oscar for 20 years. Yeah, for a live short. <laughs> um, and that's the thing. I'm not even criticizing. I think this is a good movie. I think if I was to rate it with something, I'd give it like a seven and a half. Or even like, you know. Is this a new thing we're doing? We're giving no, numerical no, it's, ratings? No, no, it's one of the things that I'm, I'm having. It's because I'm having trouble processing how good this movie is in the same way I was having trouble processing how bad Army of the Dead is. Yeah. Um, and so I was just trying to kind of frame it. I like framing Army of the Dead is more a bad movie than this is a good movie. I'll say that. Actually, I think this is more of a... I think it's, it's both ends. Army of the Dead is an actual bad movie, and I think this is an actual good movie. Mm. It's just it didn't hit the emotional beats that I thought it needed to hit for me to really care about what was going to happen by the end of the movie. And I think one of the things that... They did in another round, which is a group. Again, it's a group movie about four guys. This is sensibly about four guys, but with Matilda and um, you know some of the other surrounding people, and it, it becomes about more people. Um, Jen's Ol um, is the you know the name. Many call me Jen's Ol. It's the, like the a Ukrainian kid that they just kind of pick up. Um, 
it doesn't ever give Mads or any of the other guys a second on their own to kind of uh, for us to process along for us to process along with him so in another round there's tons of moments where those guys are by themselves are interacting with the world around him like on their own making their own choices that don't necessarily seem so hemmed into the narrative that's contained within the script and so the emotional beats of those things even when they're all together or I should say especially when they're all together hit so much harder because you know who each of these people are as people you have an intimate relation you have an intimate aesthetic relationship with each of them in the film that's not here in this movie yeah like, this like movie the entire very... like, the, like like you get all those moments with was it Nikolai by himself mm-hmm. like with his thing with his wife and kid Nikolai that uh, yeah right which one the heavier set guy in another round oh oh yeah, yeah yeah like you get like at times he feels more like he's going to be the main character than Martin is mm-hmm. Martin get, Marcus like, oh get, my god apparently just, Mads Mikkelsen always needs an M character yeah. you even, but you get Manable Mector the reason that you get that is I think because you get moments of them alone making a decision um, and you get to feel like they're part not necessarily just part of the movie but they're they're uh, part of the life that they're living and I suppose you could one could argue that that's kind of the point of this movie is that you know Marcus is not a part of his daughter's life he's not a part of the life at home um, he's only his, his own thing he exists in this kind of uh, military universe but you don't even really get a sense of what that military universe is you just know he's really good at shooting people and is like you know when he's like he calls his wife and he's like they asked me to stay part of me was wondering as the movie went on and he started killing people it's like did they ask him to stay or did he say he would stay you know what I mean um did they did they ask him to stay without like did they force him to stay or did they say like hey do you want to stay and he was just like yeah because this is what I can do I can we don't know any of that stuff and that's where I, this half baked feeling comes from where I'm just like I just want to know these people I want to know these guys better than and the movie almost gets to that, those points with some of those conversations towards the end I mean I think some of those things are really really good. I think it's it hits its theme beats really well. It doesn't hit the emotional beats as well as the themes. And so for me, it comes off as um you know, a little underwhelming. So I didn't I didn't like when when Matilda got shot at the end, I wasn't like, "Oh no, Matilda got shot." I was just like, "Oh, I'm sure she'll be fine." Yeah. <laughs> There's no way this movie's going to kill her off. And even when Mads is kind of fading there against her, I wasn't like I was like, oh, I can't believe Mads is going to die. I was like, yeah, he'd probably die. And then when I saw him at the end of the movie, I was like, oh, he didn't die. Whatever. Good for you. <laughs> like, especially because of like his what he was doing in, like there. It wasn't even like that typical movie ending where like a, an odd group is together and you know everyone's like now like joined as one. Like They bought uh, Emmenthaler a French horn, but he's, you know... Just seems like he's off in his own world until Emmenthaler plays the French horn. Um, and then there's a bike. And then a girl rides the bike in the snow and the movie's over. But I think it was, re- I think thematically it was really interesting. Um, it was a really interesting way to kind of go about illustrating coincidence and fate and 
like the problem with statistics and or trusting too much in statistics and you know this is not a universe that's going to turn into minority report anytime soon um but no, it, was just, it plays, it was a, it little, plays, it was a little it plays a nice nice line like with its with its themes of of that i've never really like shitting on any sort of you know side i thought no 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 and it's it's, it's it feels it, it there's parts of this i think three quarters of this movie feel really good they're they're a, a little black a little disturbing um and it's really intelligent and uh, conveys, has some nice set pieces in it uh, and conveys its themes really well. Um, yeah, it's just, it's always the emotions for me. Like, it's, I just wanted more, I wanted I, more emotional resonance. I would agree. He seems like the type of director who needs, Jensen seems like the type of director who needs, like, a slightly more assertive crew with him. That's going to be like, do this, mm. you know. Shoot it this way. Edit it this way. You know. Because he, he wrote and directed this? He wrote and directed it. Yeah. So I think I would actually prefer him write... I think in Thomas... I mean, again, I don't, I don't know Danish filmmakers. In Lars von Trier's hands, this is a different movie. Uh, the script the, is different. He did the story supervision of Antichrist. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So maybe I owe him an apology there. No, I gave it a good review. Yeah, seven and a half. It's like seven point seven, like creeping up to an eight. I liked it. I liked spending time with it. I just wish it was like. I wish it punched me harder. If he wrote this and Lars von Trier directed it. Imagine Lars von Trier directing Mads Mikkelsen or something. That would be amazing. I think they would just kill each other. But imagine if I, mean, I think Mads Mikkelsen would just kill him. I think the problem. There's no way that Mads Mikkelsen did not ask to be a nymphomaniac, and he's just like, no, I want Charlotte Gainsbourg to live. There's no way she recovers from whatever your character would do to her in nymphomaniac. That's not going to happen at all. You think we get a new Lars von Trier this year? Hmm? Is, there, I don't know. is there a potential that? I don't know. I love Lars von Trier. I think about Hass as a Jack Bell every day. Every day? Do you think about it every day? No. I think about it every day in some capacity. Like what? My kids are really into um, the house that Jack built. No, they're really into like Greek mythology stuff. Um, so like the river sticks and stuff like that. I just want to show them like the end. You could show them. of house that Jack. I think built. you could show them once they after the temple of bodies. <laughs> no, that's remember when he made the temple of bodies, and I was like, wait, what? He makes a temple of bodies. And then Bruno Gans's angels just inside the Temple of Bodies. Is Virgil? Oh yeah, Virgil. He's not an angel in this Jesus one. Jesus Christ! Oh, man. I mean, I should think about that every day. Considering my favorite work is the Divine Comedy. Yeah, and that I just is think the, it's... the best ever demonstration of me. the Inferno. I think it's because I listen to too many like movie podcasts where they talk about things that are dark. I'm like, none of these are dark. Like, none of these things are dark. I still say, you know, the darkest scene of that ever is Jack looking at the Elysian Fields. The darkest moment no, of that film. The darkest moment moment is when he taxidermies that kid and wires a smile onto his face and then waves at it. That's the darkest. But no, that's the, the darkest scene. But you, oh, the Elysian. But that's the thing. That's just not dark. It's fucking beautiful. It's Lars beautiful, Lars but it's supposed to make dark like 
It's beautiful, beautiful, but it is dark. Think about it. It's just so sad. This guy who thought nothing mattered suddenly realizes everything matters. And is now seeing the one moment of happiness ever. And he just wanted to, like, talking about, you know... Determinism versus like random chance. Absolutely. Like that movie's that movie is two hours of random chance, followed by thirty minutes of going nope absurdist determinism. Well, but that's the thing. So, do you think if he got across? I mean, it's never articulated in the film. Do you think if he got across the like that pit? No, he's always going to fall. No, no. But do you think if he got across, his intention was to kind of do things differently so he could get to the Elysian Fields, or do you think he is just in his mind? Didn't do enough of the things that he was doing. Um, no, he always falls. He always falls. He never even makes it. Because mm-hmm. his life was set to be that. Mm. That's how but I see it. But does he know it? No. What do you think Matt Dillon thinks? He thinks if he could just try harder. So he, if, he was, if, he, if he did... Is this where like the Holocaust stuff comes in? If the atrocities were equal to that of... That does he get in somehow? No, I don't think. I I think. Or no, thinks, do you think he thinks he gets in? No, he thinks. I think he thinks he would fix it at that point. But I think he thinks like if I get across, I can undo the things I did. Right. Right. That's what I'm asking. But it's 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 it always Bruno said Gans to me. It's always saying to me. It's like gonna make it. Like you're on this path. Like that movie to me is saying like you're on this path. On of, this path. Yeah. Of. From birth, going to hell. It's why Bruno it's a Calvin. Is, it's a Calvinist thing. It's, yeah. like, it's like a Calvinist movie, almost. I, I, Lars von Trier somewhere just like had a moment of blissful lucidity when someone called him Calvinist. For like one half of a second before he fell back in bed. Um, <laughs> well, that's true, because Bruno Gans doesn't ever try to stop him from going. He's just like, sure, try it, try it out. It's like that's what you've always done. Because he knows. Yeah. yeah. Love it. It's a great movie. I feel so weak no, not putting it on my top ten that year. You know, it needed to sit with you for a while. It did. It did. I don't know, Mario. What are, what are movies have we talked about in this podcast that we needed to sit with? can't think of any. I mean, Portrait, obviously. <laughs> for me. Um, House That Jack Built. I think House That Jack Built doesn't go in my top 100, but it definitely would have went in my top... No, because it doesn't do... I no. think there's still holes in it. Like, And there's holes in Antichrist, too, but there are holes... That... It's just like, it's not me. Right, it's just... it's I'm I'm kind of in awe of it's... It's art piece. It's of art. Its subversiveness. Yeah, it's yeah, also yeah. an art piece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been reading this uh, 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 a lot about Francis Bacon, because there's a new biography about Francis Bacon. Like, stuff in House of Jack Belt reminds me of some of the things that like Francis Bacon was doing in like his paintings, where he was just kind of showing... Like, oh my god, could you imagine how much uh, I can't remember the author, but the Art of Cruelty author. Maggie Nelson? Maggie Nelson would have to say about fucking has that Jack built if she wrote the if she wrote Art of Cruelty now. And they'd be, she would dedicate like a chapter to But that they'd book. be justified. Well, she might find it too ridiculous. Because so? I think that's what I think a lot of people find House of Jack built ridiculous. Um I think I think they don't. I think they'll be slowly burning away. But it is, and if it mattered more, maybe she would be writing about it. But she would, I mean, thematically, there's no way she could like it. No, absolutely not. No. It's just terrible. I'm just trying to think of well, many other films. I think maybe I give 
Avengers Endgame a slightly better review in retrospect? I would only give it a better review because of my kids. So I still think the time travel thing is ridiculous. I do too. And I hate when they go back in time. I hate when they go to like the first Avengers movie and then back to the 70s to meet... To hang out with, yeah, them. I hate all that too. But like, I've at least gotten to a point now where like I see the people having fun with it who really dig it, yeah, and who now have gotten over the fact that's not one of the best movies ever made. But like, this is really important to me as a fan of this, and I'm like, I'm willing to accept that. Whatever, buddy. Like I, I said that when I re- re- reviewed I think it initially. You, yeah, you were much more generous to it, yeah. but I think I'd be more willing to be like, this is a good movie for what it's trying to do, mm-hmm. instead of saying like. This is just a Super Bowl movie. No, so the movie that needed to grow on me was, um, and it didn't need to grow on you, was um, You Were Never Really Here. Mm. I, needed, I needed like 10 read-throughs of the novel and like a couple of reviewings of it and spending some time with the soundtrack and then doing all of them like simultaneously to be like, this movie belonged in like my top... I mean, what I, I think the the takeaway is that 2018 was probably the best year of movies we've had since doing this thing. No. Because in reality, I would push like... I could push like Mandy... And I don't even feel good about pushing Mandy off or Shirkers. And I don't feel good about pushing Shirkers off or like whatever my number nine movie was to make room for... You were never really here. And I had like First Reformed at six. And I love, I mean, I fucking am like obsessed with First Reformed when it came out. Um, but You Were Never Really Here is like a towering like film. It just, I wish it didn't have Joaquin Phoenix crying with his shirt off for no reason in a palatial estate. Free Solo, I think, would drop off. You think so? It's fun, but it's not like important. It's horrifying. Fucking, it is. <laughs> I hate watching that movie. Yeah. But it's not like collective horrifying well because the best parts of that movie are not has nothing to do with the guy the best part of that movie is the reaction of the filmmakers when he's going to make his ascent i mean and that's so little two seconds of the movie yeah Yeah. i don't know like the horror is the best part of that film and the unsettlingness is the best part of that but then collective comes out two years later it's like this is real horror Real, it's burning, and then it's governmental, like a governmental bureaucratic nightmare yeah. that prevents any real justice from happening for anything. Yeah. Yeah. What if we just ended it? <laughs> just ended. Just there. And people were just like waiting, like, what are these guys going to be like next week? <laughs> this God, what are we even talking about next week? We do, do we do PTA? I don't know. But we're going to take it off because of your birthday. Oh, right, right, right. Because we're going ham. We don't have anything coming up in the next two weeks, though. There's no, no movies coming out. Which is fine. We could, I mean, I'm okay taking breaks and then recollecting ourselves. And... Yeah. So we won't make podcasts. We'll just hang out and drink. Yeah. <laughs> I might see A Quiet Place Part 2, but I'm not, I guarantee you I will not have feelings about that film. Yeah, I had no feelings. I think the first one is ridiculous yeah, although i no, think I it's it's a sturdy like well-made bookshelf of a film but it also is terrible it's also an alien who monster movie fucking cares yeah who cares the the one thing i'm happy about about the sequel is you know it's giving money to killian murphy and um is that demon digimon housen that... oh diamond hunsu is, is he that, in it is that it yeah 
Yeah, that's him, right? That's yeah. He's the one's in it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Give them more money. He should have, his, he should have an Oscar. For Blood Diamond? No, for uh, the one good part in Amistad. When he pretended Matthew McConaughey was a hero of anybody. Uh, Remember Amistad? Long time ago. Long, long time ago. Steven Spielberg only made a certain kind of movie. And he thought Amistad would be a good one. When he just wanted to win all the Oscars. If uh, you want to win all the Oscars... You can tweet us at Film Pivotal. Or you can send an email to pivotalfilmpodcast at gmail.com or you can go to pivotalfilm.com, which I updated. Yeah, anybody notice? Nah, nobody noticed. Um, yeah. I think you said you updated that last week. Yeah, I'm just reminding them. Oh. In case, in case we have some new people that see our Army of the Dead review, like a, they ta- we, we tag it and they're like, search Army of the Dead on SoundCloud and it comes up and they're like, Oh, what are these oh, guys got to say about what the, what, How many beers have they drank? None, not that many, guys. Yeah. We really have had not that many beers. Mm. Army of the Dead just confuses us with how terrible it is. That's true. Um, but yeah, go, uh, go to the movies if you, if you feel safe. I mean, I'm, I'm, looking, I'm looking forward to it. I bought those tickets, and I feel like I bought tickets to like a theme park. And like that trip like to the theater is going to feel like driving like to Florida or It something. is actually really weird. When you go see a movie now... A, metal bar drops in front of you. And he's like, hang on to your butts. I know, there's a lot of rides in like Universal that are essentially just like going to see movies. Um, so yeah, go see a movie, drink some beers because it is the season, it's hot. It's a good time for some for some light beers. Um, a good time for beer. And we'll talk to you. We'll talk to you eventually. Take it easy. <laughs> <laughs>